0: Welcome to the e commerce fuel podcast, the show dedicated to helping six and seven figure store owners build amazing companies, outgun the competition, and make more money. I'm your host and fellow e commerce entrepreneur, Andrew Udarian. Hey, hey guys, it's Andrew here and welcome to the eCommerce Fuel Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today and excited for today's episode because I'm bringing you a follow-up to my trollingmotor.net sale. A couple years ago, sold that business, which I started after, uh, you know, I ran it for two, three years and ended up selling it to a great guy named uh, Clayton Chrisman. And it's been a couple years since he purchased it and wanted to do a follow-up. You know, how did things pan out? Did everything fall apart? Did it go well? You hear, Sometimes about how these deals go down at the moment, but I think doing a follow up would be interesting. So we dive into all sorts of things in terms of how the business is, what's changed, and what it's like to buy your first e commerce business and uh, kind of looking back on some of the challenges a couple years down the road. So just as a little bit of background, I'm sure most people, or at least a lot of people, will probably be familiar with it. If you're not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll link up in the show notes to uh, to the original post that I did selling trollingmotors.net. As a quick recap, I did it as a completely transparent sale. I posted all of the financials, the net income, all the major stats on my website, and then I did a reverse auction. I set the price high, and then dropped the price by $10,000 every week. And the first person to bid was the one who got it. So those are kind of the high level points. It sold for $170,000, which represented about a 2.7, 2.8 ish X multiple on earnings. And those are the high numbers. Again, I'll link up to all the details in the show notes, but uh, let's go ahead and dive in and chat with Clayton and hear how things have gone for him the last two years after taking the reins. (laughs) Clayton, so I've got to say, man, congratulations. We're uh, about two years in from the point when you purchased trollingmotors.net. And congratulations on, on a two, what I'm hoping we'll find out here is a successful two years.
1: Great to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for being willing.
1: Feels like yesterday.
0: I know it's gone quickly. It's crazy to think it's been two years. We uh, actually, it'd be kind of interesting. We're going to go ahead and jump back in time here really quickly. Uh, Just a real quick excerpt from our conversation a couple of years ago that we had right after the business sale closed. So uh, let's take a listen to that. What possessed you to bid on the site? You know, it it came up, you got the email from me with the whole public auction thing. And I guess what was your description of your background and where you were coming from and what, what made you decide to bid? Over the last
1: year, I had been exploring, sort of, doing some different things in my career, and one of those halves was learning about e-commerce. Basically, at that point, I'd also learned about trolling motors, obviously, because you talk about it in in your educational materials and so on. And I was really intrigued by the business, both just the products and the niche, and you know your approach. And I just sort of kept an eye on it over the course of the year. And during that year. I had the opportunity to look at a lot of other prospectuses from other e-commerce businesses and actually even other types of businesses. I was looking to buy a small business. And I came close to bidding on a couple that were actually different, larger. But over the course of the year, I sort of narrowed my focus in terms of what I wanted, what I needed, what kind of risk I was comfortable taking on. Again, you know, I was a neophyte in, e- in e-commerce, with so very limited experience on, on this front, although having had experience in technology And then out of the blue, your email came, and it just sort of, everything about it checked the boxes on on what I'd been looking for. I took a leap of faith and and did some analysis and and placed a bid.
0: All right, back to present day, of course, Clayton. So I got to ask, what kind of fears did you have coming into this? I mean, you did your due diligence, but how worried were you that you just bought a lemon from this <laughs> snake oil salesman that you were going to you know, impart all of your hard-earned cash to. And uh, two weeks after close, everything was just going to fall apart.
1: Well, you're always nervous when you write a big check. But as you said, you know, I did do a lot of due diligence. And I don't think I was too worried that I'd bought a lemon you know, for a lot of reasons, not least of which was I also sort of had a sense of who you were as a person and i think you had some credibility on the line too in the nature of how you were selling the business so transparently and i had been following e-commerce fuel and you know your blog for a year so i'd like to sort of have a sort of a sense that i knew you a little bit even though we had never really met or talked until we started this transaction so i never thought i was in danger of buying a complete lemon but you know i was certainly worried about you know the business not performing I mean, specifically, you know, could I maintain the revenues? Could I grow them? You know, that was one of my fears. Another fear was, would I enjoy myself? You know, I didn't, I'd never run an e-commerce business before. This was going to be me as a sole operator. Was I going to like it? Or was this going to be, you know, some new form of misery that (laughs) I just wrote a check for? (laughs) And then, you know, on top of that, there's always fear of the unknown. You know, it's just, you know, it was sort of a, you could do all your research and, you know, you sort of don't know what you don't know. And whether that was, you know, is Google going to change their algorithm and all of a sudden I'm hosed or am I going to lose a supplier or, you know, is there going to be some new form of energy that, you know, eliminates the electric trolling motor? Who knows? But that, that those were sort of the worries.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a, these are generally, if you do your diligence, a pretty good investment. But that's the thing. There's a reason they trade for two to three X because there's, uh, man, there's a lot that can go wrong if you're not careful. Sure. Yeah, so so the million dollar question everyone wants to know, how have things been the last 2 years uh, from a uh, you know a revenue and profitability standpoint is it? Flatline, has it dropped precipitously, has it done well? What are the results, man?
1: Yeah, well, going into it I have to say my ex- expectations were pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> Not because I didn't have hopes or not because I didn't think I could do well with it, but it's more like, you know, I didn't want to sort of set an unreasonable expectation for myself and then be sort of bummed out. But the great news is that things have gone much better than I expected, which wasn't hard, again, because my expectations were low. But I'd say that they went uh, quite a bit higher than I even thought was going to be possible. Revenues have grown consistently pretty much since I bought the business, which, you know, in my wildest dreams, I I didn't think that was going to be achievable. You know, and without going into specific numbers, I went into it with sort of a you know an attitude that a, I had written you a large check, and B, the revenues that the business was at the time producing weren't really going to be suitable for you know the kind of lifestyle I wanted to lead. And I needed to get the business ramped up to a certain sort of threshold for me to be happy.
0: Because you're and, kind of a playboy, right? I mean, right, let be Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, yeah. Well. <laughs> and uh, happily, I can report that the business has achieved, you know, uh, a really nice place in that time. So, you know, the revenues grew consistently. I will caveat that, though, and say that nothing lasts forever. And lo and behold, just as I got used to growth, I started to see some, some plateau. And then we can talk about that a little bit later, because I think some of your questions will gear towards that, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, and and that's so, Clinton, When I first heard that, that I you know, I was just thrilled for the sake of yeah. I mean, you buy the business and it continues to grow, and and um, it's fantastic. And I joked with you too. I was like, you know, I ended up looking at the two businesses I had at the time, and the one I sold continued to grow. The one I held on to fell off a cliff by thirty percent revenue the subsequent year. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's <laughs> so, law. Murphy's law. Yeah. Well,
1: I'd like to think that you got uh, your other business growing back again. So hopefully it's uh, happy faces all around
0: it did it did we, we had a great year this year uh, coming off the heels of that and, and got some of those problems fixes I've talked about but one thing I mean can you talk about some of the changes a lot of the changes that you made to the business I found really impressive and I think a lot of these were an enormous part of the of the growth if not all you know attributable to all of the growth that you had so so what were some of the things that you did to change after taking over from me
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I had made a list of some ideas of things that I wanted to to focus on, but, you know, going into it right off the get-go, you know, there was a lot I had to learn first. But uh, after getting through that, you know, going down that list, one of the things I really wanted to do was get to know my suppliers well. And so I really focused on building those relationships. You know, I felt like it was really part and parcel to the business to offer great customer service. And so, having strong relationships with uh, you know with my suppliers was important to being able to execute on that. I worked a lot on the website as well, you know, not in terms of making huge changes, but I made a lot of small changes, just like moving the needle constantly every day a little bit. And that probably over time ends up being hundreds of changes over a couple of years in the aggregate. And it might be things like correcting, you know, a sentence. You know, I was an English major, and so I'm really kind of you know, attentive to how I want sentences to read from my own perspective. And so, you know, I would make certain changes. There was a tonality in some of the messaging I changed to make it, you know, sort of more my own voice and sort of, you know, what I call earnest marketing really trying to, to communicate with the customers. And, you know, then things like, um, I just chased down every single lead, you know, like I'd said earlier, I wrote that check, you know, to try and achieve a certain degree of success and I was not going to fail, you know, at least not from a lack of effort on my part. And so, you know, any phone call that I missed, I would make sure I returned it. You know, I would return emails on weekends. I just wanted to be able to make sure that there was never a moment where somebody wanted to buy a trolley motor <laughs> and, and I wasn't able to serve that need. And I did some other smaller things like guerrilla marketing, you know, in terms of when things would go wrong with a customer situation. Like if if they didn't get it and, you know, the shipping time was exceptionally long or if the product was damaged or if there was just a bad customer service issue or, you know, I dropped the the ball or, you know, something happened. um, You know, I'd really try and reach out to that customer and do what I could to correct the, you know, the situation and make it really personal and whether it was refunding them or offering them a small product, or just, you know, trying to connect on a human level, um, I wanted to make sure that everybody had a positive experience.
0: And you've earned uh, the title, I kid, this is awesome. You've earned the title in the trolling motor world online, the trolling motor whisperer. Is that right? Uh, I mean,
1: you know, at least for one person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you had someone call, you had someone call who, who asked, like, is this is Clayton? Like the Clayton, like the trolling motor whisperer? Is that how it went down?
1: that's exactly how it went down. And I gathered from that moment on that I had been uh, written up in a lot of fishing forums. And, you know, people were like, talking back and forth and saying, hey, you got to call Clayton, you got to call Clayton. And he got me on the phone. And I think he was sort of shocked that he got me on the phone thinking there was going to be this, you know, multi 100 person operation selling trolling motors. And uh, anyway, sold him a trolling motor.
0: Yeah. And one thing you've mentioned in the past to me, too, is you you genuinely enjoy getting on the phone and talking to your customers, which are predominantly, I'm going to stereotype here, but they're predominantly men. They're predominantly probably, I'm guessing, 40 to 60 years old. They're sportsmen. They, of course, love fishing. But you, you really enjoy getting on the phone and, and just kind of talking and, and shooting the breeze with them.
1: I absolutely love it. And I have to say, you know, the thing I really had no sense of when I bought the business was just how much I was going to love that. I mean, I've always loved sales. I come from a background of sales. I like talking to people but you know, waking up every day and talking to this type of customer has been a really great way to start your day. I mean, when you think about it, I'm talking to guys who are, you know, they're passionate about fishing, you know, just like men are passionate about their sports. I mean, these guys are passionate about fishing and here they are, they've saved their dollars, they've done research and they're fired up. They're about ready to spend, you know, a thousand bucks, On something that brings them joy. And as I joke with some guys, you know, it's a propulsion unit to get them away from their wives. And, you know, so they're they're in this great frame of mind, they're in a good mood when they call. And I'm the recipient of sort of that energy. And I meet it halfway. And so it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's a good group of customers to talk to.
0: One thing I think that's impossible to measure, really hard to maybe attribute with analytics and all these kind of things. But when you get somebody on the phone when you call somebody And especially for for e-commerce or service-based business, you can tell within about five seconds if they're reading from a script, if they're just kind of going through the motions, or if they're genuinely happy to be on the phone with you. And the latter is very rare. It's a difficult thing to achieve. You kind of only know it when you hear it, but it's so incredibly powerful. And I think subconsciously, we have such more of an affinity towards brands that do that. And I think it's probably one of the biggest underrated aspects of retention and reputation of building a brand, but it's incredibly hard to be able to scale out at the same time. So how much of the fact that you are an owner operator and you were the man who was running the show, it was your business, every sale was your dollar, and you were also the guy on the front lines providing just world-class customer service. How much of the fact that you were the owner operator would you attribute to the growth?
1: I mean, I think a huge amount, both from what I previously mentioned, just in terms of chasing down every lead, because, you know, if I didn't do it, nobody else was going to do it. And, you know, leads are dollars. So from that perspective, I was highly motivated to do it because that money was going in my pocket. But the second part, you know, that you t- touched on, which is just sort of the authenticity, you know, that an owner operator has and being able to speak to their customer, I think that also has a huge, huge impact on a micro level, like in the moment on that phone call. But then on a macro level, where that customer in turn goes out and says, "Hey, you know, I had a really good experience with this person," and tells, you know, the guy at his in his marina who's in the you know the next slip over, or the guy in his fishing club, or the guy at his bass tournament, or and on and on and on. And that is something you know you you point out right. It's very hard. You know, it depends what industry, but generally it's very hard to scale. You know, larger companies try and create a culture around it. In my case, you know, I'm lucky. I, I, I fish and I've grown up boating and have owned boats and have used trolling motors. And so it's very easy for me to communicate with these guys and relate to them because I actually know what I'm talking about. And I know the questions to ask based on my own personal experiences. And I know how to tie a bowline, and, and, you know, I know how to deal with boats So right away, I can connect. And I think it just gives me and my business a lot of credibility and uh, makes people want to buy from us.
0: Yeah. And that's something that at least myself, uh, I was never able to do because I think the first time I saw a trolling motor was six months in when I went to Cabela's and and for the first time in my life, noticed the trolling motor section because I'd been selling them, you know, and people would call up and (laughs) I got a a 24 foot, you know, center console boat, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, you know, for the first year and a half I had no idea what they were talking about, but oh, yeah, of course, course," you know, and, and um, yeah, I mean, you can of course learn anything and we did. It's fun also
1: because, you know, invariably every time these guys call, the first thing out of their mouth is, you know, I'm so-and-so from certain geographical location, right. and this is my boat. Yeah, And I immediately Google image search their boat, and, you know, I joke with my friends, I look at boat porn all day long. <laughs> and, you know, so I immediately see what kind of boat they have, and, you know, from there from there we go. And I, a lot of times, you know, I, I either knew their boat, or now I do, but I knew a lot of them from the get-go.
0: Yeah. What's been the steepest learning curve about buying the business and coming on board and, and, uh, you know, going through the process of taking ownership and growing it?
1: Yeah, I think everything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, going back in my mind to sort of that first day I bought the business, we did the handoff on a Friday. And of course, I had timed it with a standing guy's ski trip that I'd been doing for almost 20 years. And I wasn't gonna give that ski trip up. So I go into this guy's ski trip with just, you know, a new <laughs> e-commerce business <laughs> and very little idea of how to run it. So, you know, from day one it was pretty overwhelming. But you know, to get into the nitty-gritty, you know, I think from the early days it was, you know, basically the e-commerce ecosystem. So how do things work? You know, what are the technologies involved? Getting comfortable with, you know, just you know, everything from ring central, phone, you know, the phone system to you know, how trouble tickets would work and following up and then, you know, what the sales trends are either on a daily basis or weekly basis or monthly basis. And, you know, just sort of how to get a grasp of all of that. And, you know, it just took time. I mean, it was never like anything that was going to be, you know, sink me. I never felt that. And as, you know, a few weeks went past, I became more comfortable, you know, that obviously there the things I was going to get better at and learn more. So that was sort of the the initial degree, but you know a lot of it changes as it, as it goes. So, you know, there's also been new products, learning about the customers and the industry. You know, that was something that I kind of wanted to get, really get up to speed on. And now here I am, two years later, and I'm looking at actually doing a redesign because you know there's a lot of pieces of technology within the website you know that need to be changed and the front end sort of. Branding needs to be changed, and so here I am, two years on, learning all about you know web design in this day and age. And I've done a lot of web design over the previous years, but every time you do it, when you step back into it after a period of time, you know there's new stuff to learn. So I don't know that the learning curve was, you know, in summary, I don't know that the learning curve was so steep beyond those first three or four weeks. But it's more that there's just constantly things to learn and to stay on top of, you know, because there's opportunities to improve your business if you do that.
0: How 's owning this business changed your life for better and for worse?
1: Yeah, good question. I sought out e commerce because of a place I was at in my life and you know changes I wanted to make the buying the business was synonymous with actually moving geographically from from a place I'd lived for fifteen years to to another state. And when I I was transitioning out of a career in technology in, in San Francisco and running a manufacturing business and being involved in internet kind of businesses, but at a larger scale and with more people involved, and I was burnt out on sort of the whole sort of you know for lack of a better word corporate world, and I, I sort of sought out e commerce because I wanted to have flexibility and self determination and autonomy, and I wanted to be able to. Not have to go and wrangle with people to get on a plane and go somewhere whenever I wanted, and so I have to say, in a way, like my life is kind of different beyond my wildest dreams or expectations. And I say that sort of you know with with a big smile on my face. But I sought that out, but then actually achieving it was really amazing, and it's been a really great two years in that sense, you know, just without going too far into my personal life, I have, you know, reason to be able to visit family in, in a couple of different locales and being able to just sort of, and my parents are getting a little older. And so being able to move my business to them, you know, on a whim, or if there's an emergency has been a godsend. And then, you know, on a personal level, just in terms of my personal, you know, what I like to do, you know, I love to ski and I love to travel and this business is seasonal. And it's great because when ski season starts, my business is getting kind of quiet. And so I can ramp up my skiing, (laughs) but still keep my working, you know, moving forward. And then, you know, as you have known this, I mean, you you did it. I don't know if you do now with your young child, but uh, you ran your business from, you know, from Europe and Asia. And I haven't gone to Asia, uh, but I did take a trip to Europe. And so, you know, it was a little hectic because I was in my busy season, but I managed to do it. And, you know, it's all about, you know, making it work. But what was great about it is I didn't have to ask anybody. I didn't have to negotiate with anybody. You know, I just said, I'm going to make this happen. And I bought a ticket and went to Europe. And then I sold trolling motors from Paris.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Two things that are always, always, you know, thought of in the same sentence, trolling motors in Paris, you know, they just go together. Yeah.
1: Ironically, actually, I was on that trip and a guy called me. Who is an American living in
0: France. Oh, my goodness. And did you tell him? Did you say, hey, I'm actually in Paris right now? Oh, God, absolutely, I told him. Yeah. So what's next for you, Clayton? I mean, are you going to continue to grow, grow the business? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to try to diversify into other types of fishing gear, start another side venture? What's coming up for you?
1: I definitely have no plans to sell it. You know, as as I described, but you know, the business really brings me joy and satisfaction and purpose and I've been excited by the growth and I think there's more opportunity for growth. And I also just bought it 2 years ago, so you know, for me it's still new. And I find that there's always more to learn. There's, there's always, you know, a new piece of technology or you know, something to study. I love going on e-commerce fuel and, you know, reading through the forums and talking to people and you know I've learned a lot through that and I think there's just so much more to apply to the business and you know my focus right now I'm actually following in your footsteps and migrating from Magento to Shopify and getting ready to relaunch the website I mean to give you an idea over the last 18 months or yeah I can't remember the last time I looked at it but let's call it you know over the last two years I mean mobile traffic has just exploded Mm -hmm. And as you know, I mean, I didn't have a mobile optimized website, so there's a huge opportunity there that kind of drove, you know, I have to get with the times and then, you know, the mobile get and came out and I was like, oh my God, is, you know, is my business going to tank now? And, you know, that was sort of a hiccup. At the same time, you know, I'm always looking at new opportunities and talking to people and I do some small investing on the side and I've definitely thought about you know what opportunity is there to expand you know into similar related verticals or products in the fishing sports world?
0: Have you thought about I'm sure you have, how how seriously have you thought about bringing somebody on board to help with customer service and phones and kind of operations day to day? On one hand, of course, that would you know free you up to work on high-level aspects of the business or pursue other things. but but on the other hand, like we talked about earlier, I mean, the growth of the business, I mean, so much of it has been attributed to the incredible amount of passion and a focus to detail and focus on an incredible service that you've provided. So where are you thinking? Where are you at with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've thought about it a lot for a couple of different reasons. The big negative on being a, you know, what I'll call a solopreneur here, you know, solo operator, solo entrepreneur, you know, I cannot leave this business and I can't leave it alone. You know, I can't say, eh. I'm going to not answer the phones or not respond to emails for a week and go to, you know, some far off land and, you know, really decompress. So, you know, this thing is like a, there is a ball and chain aspect to it. I mean, you know, I get paranoid, you know, that what happens if I get the flu, you know, in the peak season or what happens if I have to have a surgery or what happens if I, you know, just get burnt out. So, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, that is an omnipresent sort of worry. And I, at some point, you know, I will eventually just not want to do this every day. I mean, everything, my life changes. So, you know, I have some thoughts on how I might bring in a person to help. And, you know, incumbent upon that is I want to sort of be in the business for a longer period of time just to see, You know, to really believe that, you know, there's consistency and to really see it, you know, to see if I can grow it some more and get it to a level where I'd say, okay, well, I'm making enough money for me. I'm, you know, I'm okay with bringing somebody else in and carrying that burden. I mean, bringing somebody else in, you know, that opens up a whole new set of uh, opportunities and, and also a can of worms. I mean, you've got a new liability in, you know, what happens if the person isn't right or if they decide to change and leave. I mean, now you've grown your business on the back of somebody else. So, you know, growth isn't easy. You know, if you ask me if there's something I stress about, there's a little bit of that. So not quite ready to bring somebody on, but you know, that, that is something that's going to be in the cards in the next year or two. And I've got some interesting ideas
0: around it. One parting question for you, Clayton, what advice would you give to someone looking to buy their first e-commerce store after you've had a couple of successful years in the trenches?
1: You know, I would say, I mean, speaking from my own experience, um, you know, really to care about the market or the product you choose, you know, you're going to be living with it (laughs) truly. And there's no substitute for passion and authenticity, you know, as we discussed. So I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people who start businesses or buy businesses where, you know, they don't care about the product or they don't know about the product. I mean, I know you didn't know a lot about Trolling Motors and you successfully started this business and sold it. So, I mean, it's not that you can't do it, but I think from where I sit, you know, caring about you know, the market or the product is, is important, having some passion that you can bring with it. you know, I think, you know, again, speaking from personal experience, educate yourself. I mean, I started from a blank slate. I started with a spreadsheet. Before I even chose to focus on e-commerce, I started with a spreadsheet where I had a like column and a dislike column of what I liked and disliked in business. And by creating that little spreadsheet and really focusing in on the things I would like to do and dislike to do, I ended up at e-commerce. But at that point, I didn't know anything. So I started going online. I started, you know, I came across you and your businesses. I talked to people. I talked to brokers. I went through, you know, a couple of due diligence processes through a broker with other businesses. And through that, I learned, you know, what how multiples worked and, you know, where, where there were things to be nervous about and where there was opportunity and where there were patterns so you know really do your due diligence really become you know as much of an expert as you can before you you jump you know other things I think that are important I think you know giving yourself a long runway you know the worst thing in the world is to feel desperate and you know I come from you know doing startups and being involved in startups and investing in startups and God, when you do not have a lot of runway, it is a miserable feeling because you just have your back against the wall. And, you know, I learned that the hard way. And now I know when you buy a business or start a business, you don't know what's going to happen. And so you need to give yourself time to adjust or to be able to fix things if they go wrong. So, you know, whether it's having a side job or having enough money in the bank, you know, give yourself a runway. And I think, you know, in tandem with that, as a buyer of a business, don't buy what you can't afford to lose you know it went well for me in this situation but there is uh, you know the internet is i'm sure and the world is littered with stories of people who have bought losing prospects and so don't get so far out in a limb um, that you that you you're a gambler instead of investor so i mean i think those are the those might be my words of wisdom <laughs>
0: Clayton, well, it's, it's so incredible to hear what you've done with the business the last two years. Couldn't be happy for you and the success you've had with it. It's it's obviously very well deserved. Thanks for being willing to come back on two years later and, um, yeah, share the story and, uh, thanks for buying the business. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) you're welcome. It was a a tough check to write, I will say, but it's been, uh, it's definitely been an exciting couple of years and, uh, you know, going through the whole process with you couldn't have been a better process. I mean, I think we talked about that last time, but I'll say it again, you were uh, a joy to do business with. And I think, you know, one of the great things about doing a deal is when two people, you know, walk away from the deal as happy campers. And so I hope you still feel that's true for us.
0: Oh, agreed. No, it was, I mean, any business deal like this is, it's involved, but it went about as smoothly as as I think it could have. And um, yeah, working with you was fantastic. It's nice when I'm, I'm going through a housing deal right now and, with buyers that you just trust implicitly. And it's never good to trust everyone. You know, you get burned if you trust everybody. And even if you trust some people more than you should. But for some of the little details, if you have a working relationship that you feel like you don't have to sign every little thing and document every little thing, if you can get a rapport like that going into something, it, it makes deals so much easier to work through. And I felt like we were able to build that in the short time that we worked together, which was nice. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Clayton, Thank they, you. thanks so much again. And here's to another two fantastic years. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this week. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to check out the eCommerce Fuel private forum, a vetted community exclusively for six and seven figure store owners. With over 600 experienced members and thousands of monthly comments, it's the best place online to connect with and learn from other successful store owners to help you grow your business. To learn more and apply visit ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. Thanks so much for listening. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.